The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Okay, church, let's take our Bibles this morning, turn back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 4. Of course, we begin preaching through this book and Let's see what the Lord has for us today. Acts chapter number 4. And while you're making your way to Acts 4, I just remind you that this next weekend, next uh, Sunday, we have our fall festival in the evening time. And uh, hold on a second. Let me get everybody. Can you hear me this morning? Say amen. amen. Okay. If, you've, if, I, if I have your attention this morning, say amen. amen. Next Sunday evening, we have our fall festival here at the church, and that's open for our community. We'll have the bounce houses and about 400 bajillion games for the kids and all kinds of food, and it should be a great time. And so I want to make sure that all of our people that possibly can, you'll come out and be a part of that next Sunday evening as uh, and meet people from our community. Pray this week that the Lord would bring lost people from our community to come, that we might speak to them and encourage them, maybe even have an opportunity to invite them to a service to share the gospel with them. And so that'll be a wonderful time together. That's next Sunday evening. Acts chapter number 4, verse number 23, down through verse number 31 is where we are today. Read along with me silently as I read the Word of God for us aloud. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is You who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, Your servant said, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people devised a futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, we do come to You now and we express that we love You and thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy and Your grace. We bring our attention to this faithful passage on prayer. And Lord, I ask that in each of our hearts today as believers, that we would be convicted, that we would be encouraged Lord, that we would be equipped to have prayer lives that are worthy of the Gospel. Lord, You have given us Your Son. You have given us Your Spirit. 
You have descended upon us and called us out to be the church body. You have assured us that there is great power in the church through prayer. And yet, Lord, I find that we are so woefully lacking in many times in our lives. So I pray that as we study Your Word and we leave today, that You would help us to become a people of prayer. And we pray that if there is one here today that does not know You as Lord and Savior, then through the prayers of Your people, by way of the cross of Your Son, and the interaction of the Spirit of God through conviction, that this would be the good, glad day that they would come to faith in Your Son. And we will love You, we will thank You in advance for all that You do in this time together. For it's in the name of Christ we do pray. Amen. I'm thinking about uh, next Sunday evening and our fall festival, and that's always one of the highlights of the year for me. It just uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit uh, crisp, cool air. And, uh, and we'll just have a good time. Everybody makes a crock pot meal, whether it's a, a stew or a soup or a chili. And we gather together. We have the fire pit. It'll be a good time. And you know, uh, we're going to push today. Of course, I'll do some videos this week. We'll push again Wednesday night. But I have no doubt in my mind that the vast majority of our congregation will come uh, next Sunday morning and then go out and prepare. And you'll come Sunday evening. It will be a wonderful time for our people to gather together as God's church. And I was thinking this week just a little bit, and in fact yesterday just kind of really mulling over this passage, and I, I guess I could put it in a negative sense to say, um, you know, to say the you know, most poorly attended service that not only our church but any church ever has is when they have a prayer service. If I say, come to the fall festival, everybody shows up. If I said, we're going to gather and pray to God, you know and I know that that's probably the weakest attended service that you ever have. But I thought maybe instead of putting it to the negative standpoint, I would just simply put it in a positive uh, light for you today and drop this question in your lap. What would it take for you to come this Wednesday night to prayer service? Now you notice I didn't get negative about that at all, did I? But you feel it. (laughs) What would it take this Wednesday night for you to come to a prayer service? Well, maybe you would be looking at this text today and you would say, Pastor Steve, I I love you. And certainly if you and, and Jamie were in prison and you were released for the gospel and you showed up and you, you wanted to have a prayer meeting, if you two were in prison and released, we would all come out Wednesday night for prayer meeting together. I would tell you to put the brakes on and woe contraire, move frere. I would say to you, isn't it Jesus that was in the Garden of Gethsemane with three of His best buddies and they could not pray not one hour even though the Son of God was under such duress that great drops of blood, as it were, the text says, was falling from His face and all of the weight of the sin of the world was on Jesus and He had to come to His buddies who were snoring three times and say, could you not stay with me one hour? In prayer. Well, maybe you might be thinking, you know, but certainly if, if, if uh, the place we were in, if the place we were in, if this building, if we came to pray Wednesday night, then we were assured that this building would shake, that an earthquake would maybe crack the foundations and that God's power would show up and there would be an earthquake at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we would come then. I want to remind you that in the text today, the people had no idea that the ground was going to shake. 
Now, I would submit to you that the very demeanor and regular activity of these early church believers was that they were constant in prayer to God. And I want to give you a few things in this text today that maybe you can put in your own heart. And if you'll have these things beating deep within your own soul and within your own heart, you will find that it will not only propel you to come and pray with us on a Wednesday night, but in your own individual life, it will bring an impetus to pray. And with your family and with your children and with your friends and with your co-workers, and all of life will become a praying life for you. Well, let's take the text apart. Let me show you, first of all, some foundational points in our prayer life. Look at verse number 23. I'll just walk down through the verses and teach for a little bit. The Bible says, when they had been released, you see, this is coming off uh, Peter and John had been put in prison for preaching the Word of God, the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they had been beaten, and the council had told them, do not, we forbid you to preach the Gospel of Jesus anymore. And so finally they released them. Verse number 23, when they had been released, what did they do? They went to their own companions. I would say to you that we saw what Peter and John would do before the council, and now we see what Peter and John would do before the church. When the pressure was put on and society was against them and all was up against the walls, their default mentality was to go and gather with God's believers. And I want to ask our church today, those that are here, those that aren't, and those that will listen in the future, are we the kind of people that when the pressures of life are turned up, when depression seeps into our souls, when problems come creeping into our life, do we isolate ourselves? Do we run from our friends and family in the church life? Or do we run to the church and say, these are my brothers and sisters. This is the Word of God preached. This is where prayer happens. This is where God's community reaches. And I will go and be with them. Peter and John were released from prison. And the first thing they wanted to do was go and be with God's people. And there are sometimes that believers have a hard week and they wake up on a Sunday morning and grab a glass of orange juice in the Sunday morning paper and they say, it's been a hard week, I need to stay at home. I would say that New Testament believers, when the pressure of our lives is turned up, true believers run to God's people, and run to God Himself. Look back down at the text. When they had been released, they went to their own companions. And what did they do? They reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And now look at verse number 24. And when they, that is the corporate group, when all of them heard what the council had said, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is You who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I would say in verse number 24 that we see here the corporate nature of prayer. That they went together and they all lifted up their voice. Do you know that some 35 times in the book of Acts, God's people are corporately gathered together praying to the God of heaven. We want the Lord to save our community. We want the Lord to restore our relationships. We want God to take away the sin of our life and the anxieties and fears. We want God to bring unity 
unity and grace and power to His people and to His church, but are we willing to pray and give our hearts and souls up to lifting up the Lord in prayer? We gather together, and I would even say this, obviously the Bible would teach that the explanation and the exposition of the Word of God stands throughout church history at the center of every true corporate worship service along with the taking of the elements. But I would say along too with that comes the prayers of God's people. God's people have always met and desired to pray together in one place, in one accord for God's power and God's grace and God's mercy, both in their lives and in the community in which they serve. Here are three foundational principles in the early church's prayer life that I think should be in ours. First of all, from verse number 24, that our God is the God of creation. Look what it says here. They cry out in verse number 24, and when they had heard this, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and they said this, O Lord, do you know that is the Greek word in which we get our word despot? We don't like to think about that, but it has unmitigated power unquestionable power. Some 35 times in the New Testament, this word is used toward God and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. You may want to put the the brakes on this and say, hold on. But you see, these dear men were standing before a council who had the power and the authority to take their life for preaching the Word of God. And they said, when we address the Lord of Heaven, we want everybody to understand that though the governments of the world may have authority, all authority bends the knee before the authority of heaven. Amen? Our God is the God of unmitigated, unquestioned power to do everything. Our God is in control, not the government in which we live in this country. Our God is in control, not what men may and women may say or do. Our God is authoritative and He has the power. What kind of power? Creative power. Isn't that what it says here in verse number 24? O Lord, it is You who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I would say this, it is right for us to go back and recognize the sovereignty of God in creation, for it is out of creation in which we understand all other theological truths, for we are created people ourselves. And when we look to the general revelation of creation, we are amazed and we see the eternal power and Godhead of our great King and And then we come to the special revelation and say, it is this book that reveals to us the saving nature of Jesus Christ. But I would say to you, when we pray, we must pray from the foundational principle that our great God created the entire world. I find that sometimes believers are shaky in our prayer lives because we are, we feel like maybe we need to twist the arm of God or we are holding out and hoping and wishing and wringing our hands and ulcers in our stomach that somehow God, this whole world is a wreck and it's in chaos and we hope that you'll wake up. I want you to understand that God never fell asleep to begin with. God is awake and He is alive until all that is going on with every nation and every continent and all the world and He knows knows what's going on in your life today, my friend. Whatever you're suffering, whatever you're hurting, whatever deep, dark secret is going on in your life, I want you to understand that He is the God that made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the land and all that is in them. 
And He knows what's going on in your life. Not only is our God creative, I want you to see that they had a foundational principle of the revelation of God. Look at what it says in verse number 25. Not only were they looking to our God of creation, they were looking to the God of revelation. Look at 25. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said... This is a reference to Psalm 2. You'll find this probably in all caps in your Bible or set off. It is a quote from Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage? Or why did the heathen rage? And the people devise a vain or a futile thing. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. Brothers and sisters, I would say to you that these people, they would come to a prayer service because they had a foundational conviction that God was the God of creation and that God was the God of revelation. And they recognized that the Bible, even the Old Testament, was relevant for every single moment of life. They look back, notice there, to Psalm 2 and they say, this is given by way of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God uh, moved holy men of old to pin exactly what God wanted. And that's the reason why we explain and proclaim from this pulpit that we believe in the inerrant and the inspired and the infallible Word of the living God. God's holy Word is right for all faith and practice. It is inspired by the Spirit of God. We do not look to men to give us the answers. We look to the Word to tell us how to live life. And these dear brothers and sisters who were gathered to pray, they believed in their heart that all of the Scripture from Genesis until what was coming that they did not know, Revelation, was given on the authority of the Spirit of the living God. And then look at what it says here. Verse 25, who by the Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? And the kings of the earth, watch how it builds now, the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Messiah, His Christ. All revelation is given by inspiration of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. But all Scripture is Christian Scripture. From the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, the entire entire, uh, plethora or the entire uh, panoramic view of Scripture is all about Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus Himself said in Luke 24, verse 44 and verse 47? He said that He began in Moses and the prophets and the writings to tell them all things concerning Himself. And do you know what it says about those boys there on the Emmaus Road? It says that when He spoke to them about Himself, that did not our heart burn within us. Brothers and sisters, if we want to have the kind of prayer life 
that God wants us to have and that the early church had if we want the kind of prayer life that bring men and women and boys and girls to a meeting for prayer rather than all other kinds of things it will come when we have the foundational principle that God created the world and that His Word is relevant for this moment in this day in this life look if we look back at verse number 27 not only is He the God of creation not only is He the God of revelation He is the God of all history look at verse 27. For truly, look at how they appropriate Psalm 2. They're reading it and they're seeing it in history. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. When it says holy servant Jesus, that is in verse number 26 against the Lord and against His Christ. It's a reference to the Messiah. In verse number 27, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, those would be the, uh, those would be the kings of the earth that took their stand, verse number 26. Along with the Gentiles, that would be in uh, verse number 25, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? Look at the end of verse number 27, and the people of Israel. You see, this early church was reading back in Psalm 2 and they were understanding that what was going on in the history and in the life in which they were living was the fulfillment of Psalm 2 that these people were rising up against Christ. And He alone is the answer for all of our problems. What are the foundational principles of your prayer life? Do you just run off at the mouth to God about things. Is prayer to you one of those little fidget spinners? Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You see these people and their fingers get caught in there, they bleed and all this kind of stuff. Not these fidget spinners. Is prayer to you biting the nails off of your hands? Is it just a crutch that you hold on to and you're not even sure that anything really is going to happen, but it helps you to speak a little bit? I would say for God's precious believers, the foundational principles of true prayer are recognizing in our heart that He is a holy, creating God, that His Word is manifestly real and right for our lives today, and that God is the God who works in the course of history for His good pleasure and for our good. Amen? So when you carve out time this week to come to midweek service and pray, you come with a heart that says, Lord, the confidence I have is not in me and how good a prayer I am. The confidence I have is that You created the world, that Your Word is real and true, and that You are ready to act in history and in my life. And therefore, I will bow my knees and I will pray to You, believing that you will answer. Those are the foundations of a good prayer life. Look with me, if you will, at a few other things in this passage. Look at uh, verse number 28. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined or uh, uh, foreordained to occur. 
I simply want to remind you that uh, in verse number 28 and in verse number 24, again, the reference here to the Lord is to His power, that unmitigated, that unquestioned power, that He does what He wants. And who are we to question Him? He is the God of all eternity. Look with me at verse number 29. I'll move quickly. So verse 24 to verse 28 are the foundations of a good Christian prayer life. Verse number 29 deal with the requests that these people put out in their prayer life. Look at these three requests. Verse 29, and now... You see, now, now we're about to pray. Now that we, God's people, have filled their mind with God's sovereignty, God's creation, God's revelation, God's historic work, after we have filled and meditated and then brought God before our minds, not just slipped into something here and there, but now that the very God of the Bible stands before us as glorious and wonderful and beautiful and all-capable, now we're going to pray. Verse number 29, and now Lord, what was the first request? Consider. Take note of their threats. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't ask God to destroy them. He doesn't ask God to get away from them. He just simply says, please take note of the threats that are going on in my life. And you know, my, my own prayer life, I want to add a whole bunch of things to that. I want to say, God, kill them. God, I don't like my enemies. They're mean to me. Give them a flat tire on their way to work and make them lose their job. And don't, don't leave me up here alone. You do the same thing all the time. You know those prayers. When your mind is filled with the power and the glory and the majesty of our God and His creative work and His revelation and His historic involvement in this world. What does the, what does the old psalm say? The things of this world grow strangely dim. What is the first prayer request? Lord, take note. Consider. Just keep in your mind, Father, what's going on. I'm not sure what's going on in your life, but you may not be facing persecution like these dear believers, but you may. You may have heartaches and pains and frustrations. I want you to know that you can call out to God and say, will you just remember me? Oh, you know where my mind goes now? I'm thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross hanging between two thieves. Do you remember this story? And hey, you should read your Bible carefully. Both thieves, both thieves hurl accusations and criticism at Jesus. Did you know that? But one of them has a heart change somewhere along the way. What do you say? Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You might be in here today and this is the first time that you've ever been to a church. I want you to understand. Or maybe you say, I, I'm, I'm an unbeliever. I'm critical. We want you to know today this is what we believe. That Jesus Christ is God's own Son. That He came into this world, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect and sinless life, died on a cross and took all of your sin into Himself. And three days later, He rose again victoriously over death, hell, and the grave. And one day, this same Jesus will come again. And if you will be like the thief on the cross and cry out, 
out in mercy and say, will you remember me? Will you save me? I'm tired. I give up my weapons. I lay down my pride. Save me. Remember me. Come to me. God will take notice of you as well too. And He'll save you. And to my dear brother and sister that are in this room and you feel at wit's end, just call to Him and say, remember me. Take note of me. Look at the other two prayer requests in this verse. Take note of their threats. And here it is. Grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence. Isn't that precious? Hey, do you get the application from that today? What if all of us just went out of here this week and we just prayed and said, Lord, would You grant me boldness to speak Your Word? Not boldness to be better than other people. Not boldness to have uh, all of the sports stats memorized. Not, not boldness to be above or to put somebody beneath. Not, not boldness in every other area of my life, but boldness to speak the Word of the living God. God, give me grace and strength. I've told you before, listen, I enjoy preaching the Word of God. It's the greatest privilege of my life. This is like sitting in a living room for me. But I want to tell you something. Whenever I get one-on-one with somebody and I start to share the Gospel, I get a little choked up. I get a little nervous. I forget some of the things. I get nervous too. But would you pray alongside of me that the rest of this coming week that God would grant us holy, God-sent boldness that the most timid and the most powerful person in here would have not our own boldness to lean upon, but the boldness of the Spirit of God that we may speak the Word of God with confidence. Amen? Is there anybody in your life that needs the Word of God, that needs the goodness of Jesus, that needs the Gospel spoken into their life, maybe through written Word, maybe through a text, maybe through an email, maybe through a one-on-one conversation? I'm going to pray for you, and would you pray for me that this coming week, God would give us the boldness to speak His Word with confidence. Look at the last request. Verse number 30. Give us the boldness to speak the Word with confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I was reading this week, in a suite, I was, I was reading, it uh, might have been Alexander McLaren. I think he said something like this, isn't it interesting that they come from a council that had beat them. And rather than praying for signs and wonders of judgment and fire, they pray for signs and wonders of healing and grace. Man, that's convicting, isn't it? In the very enemies of your life, are you praying for their judgment? Are you praying for signs and miracles and wonders of healing and grace in their lives? I have just a couple of minutes here, so I better take a side, uh, just do an aside on this issue of miracles. Is everybody with me? So shake your head like this. I don't want to put you to sleep. But I think in our day and time, it's helpful for me to give a little excursus that's, uh, on, on miracles. So I want you to understand that by and large, the vast majority of what you see on TV of people doing faith healing, healing people, that is garbage and you should shut that off. And I want to say, as the shepherd protecting our congregation, do not send money to anyone 
that promises to heal you or sends you a handkerchief that they've snotted on and wiped their sweat. I don't know. I'm telling you, these charlatans, these bad people are out there. Now listen, I think rather than us going to one extreme or the other of saying miracles are normative for the church, they, they miracles happen all the time. We don't want to go into that direction, nor do I think we want to put God in some sort of theoretical box and say God cannot do any more miracles again. No, I think rather it's best for God's people to avoid the extremes and move into the, into the wider portion of our trajectory and to say that God has set up His world with certain laws that operate, and it is a normal way that the world operates, but our God is able, when and where He wants to, to operate within the law that he's made and to operate over the laws that he's made. So when we read in the book of Joshua that he made the sun stand still for a short time while the battle was won, that our God has the normal cycle of 24 hours a day, but if he wants to operate over and beyond that, he is able to do that as well. Amen? Now, let me help you when you want to think about miracles. What I'm seeing here, is that a real miracle? Did a miracle just happen? Here's the best way that I know how to, uh, to give it to you within context of the Scripture. If you were to back up to chapter uh, 3, we'll do that in a minute, but let me, let me give you five things uh, for understanding. Is this a true biblical miracle, or do I have to be careful with this? The very first one is, miracles, scriptural miracles always take place in grave circumstances. All of the people who are healed in the Bible, they are, uh, they are either lame from birth or they are blind or they don't have a limb or Peter's ear gets cut off and Jesus puts it back. It is a grave circumstance that cannot just simply be explained away. It is not a group of people that say, you know what, I got a little twitch in my neck and all of a sudden some guy bops him on the head and you know what, I don't feel any twitching anymore. We're not talking about that kind of thing. All miracles, all biblical miracles must take place in grave circumstances. Secondly, all biblical miracles take place at the very command of God. Not a command in some oil, not a command in this, not a command in that. They simply come by the spoken word, the command of the Lord. Now sometimes it is with laying on of hands, sometimes it is this or that, but it always takes place at the command that comes from the Lord. A third thing to remember here is that this always happens immediately. Immediate healing. It's not like you get a healing and you know what? I had a limp, but now two weeks later I've worked it out. I got to the yoga class and look at me, I can go. It's, it's, it's always an immediate healing. Even when Jesus heals a man in the Bible and he sees trees blurry, that is only for the purpose of those who are around. He instantaneously heals him directly after that. So all biblical miracles take place instantaneously. All biblical miracles as well are complete healings. Not complete with your faith. Not complete as long as you keep believing. They are complete. Shame on churches that would tell somebody, oh, your healing didn't last because you didn't have enough faith. And lastly, all biblical miracles are indisputable with saved people and lost people. Back up to chapter 3 and let me show you something. Chapter 3, verse number 2. The context of chapter 3 and 4 is all about the healing of this lame man. Look at verse number 2. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. You see, 
Luke wants to make very clear for you that this miracle is under grave circumstances. This isn't some sort of miscellaneous thing. This isn't my toe hurts. This isn't I've got, you know, I've got some gallbladder problems that you can't see. No, this guy has been lame since his mother's womb. Look at verse number six. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Walk by the very direct command from God. Not hold my handkerchief, not give me some money, not do this, not do that. Walk by the command of Jesus. Verse number 7. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. The immediate healing of God. Verse number 8. With a leap... He stood upright and began to walk and he entered into the temple with them and walking and leaping and praising God. There was a continuous and a complete nature to this healing so much so that he was laying there as a lame beggar and now he's skipping the dale with Jesus. Amen? Verse number 9. And some of the people in the corner of the building saw him walking and praising God. All the people indisputable evidence from saved and lost alike. So my dear friends, I'm not the kind of person that says every single day of life, there's, it, miracles happen all the time. Nor am I the kind of person that goes to the other extreme and says, God just ain't able to do any miracles anymore. No. What I would say is that we have the written revelation to help us along the way. And if you see something or hear something or watch something or listen to something and they tell you this is a genuine miracle, ask yourself these five questions. Right? Run it through the grid of Scripture. If it meets those conditions, I would say walk cautiously in that direction. If it doesn't meet those conditions, reject it kindly and move on. Let me give you the last point. We'll finish here today. Look at verse, um, back chapter 4. So we deal with foundations and the requests. Let me give you the answers. Look at verse number, um, verse number 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken. God answered their prayers with a physical manifestation of shaking the building. One of my favorite uh, pastors and theologians in church history was John Chrysostom. Isn't that a great name? I know you want to name your children Chrysostom, isn't that right? John Chrysostom, commenting on this verse, said, He shook the building so that their hearts would be unshakable. So that visible outward manifestation of God's power always has an inward reason to strengthen the people of God. What's the second answer to prayer? Look at the text. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, when it says here to be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, try not to get too gooberish on you. It's, it's an imperfect tense. Here's what it means. 
It means to allow the Spirit of God to fill you. There are both passive and active in the Bible when it comes to the filling of the Spirit. And the Bible says, uh, be filled with the Spirit of God. That, and, and we are to have the Spirit of the fruit, or the fruit of the Spirit in us. And so we are to be actively seeking to give our life over to be filled with the Spirit. There is an active part of it, but there is also a passive sense in which the answer to the prayers of these people is that God gave an inrush of His Spirit, that we have the Spirit of God through salvation, but now He is opening up into all the corridors of our life and making us more like Jesus. And what's the last answer? And began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Isn't that repeated in this passage? They prayed that they might speak the Word of God with boldness. God answered that. You'll see the full answering of that in chapter 5 and verse number 12. These people were filled. These are everyday, average people who gathered together with God's people to pray. And God did these things. He made their hearts unshakable. He filled them with the Spirit of God. And He gave them boldness to go into the community and share the Gospel. Now let me, let me close our time by this. Look. Sometimes I have to put caveats out. I know sometimes you work. I know sometimes you work late. I know sometimes there's games. I, I know, right? Look, we're, we're all family. I know there's a lot of things that happen. But if you, if you leave here today say, hey, how do I apply what's going on in this text to my life? And Wednesday evening rolls around around 6.30 and you have the space of one hour where you could come and pray with God's people and you don't. You're misapplying this text. Rather, you're not even applying it at all. But you don't have to wait till Wednesday. You could pray today. You could pray tomorrow and Tuesday. I want to encourage you to have this kind of prayer life. Maybe the best question for us to leave here today is to ponder in our minds and say, why did those people... What, what, what was going on in those people's lives that they were that excited to pray and I'm not? Well, I would say that they had a pretty good foundation of God's sovereignty and God's revelation and God's readiness to act in history. They asked appropriate prayer requests. And the driving theme of their prayer life was not so that they could be narcissistic, but so that they could carry the gospel to the ends of the world. What's your prayer life look like today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one looking around just for a moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know He loves you. He died for you. He rose again. Trust Him right where you are. Say, what does that look like? Do I have to be the best prayer in the world? No. Just simply give your heart to life to Him right now, right where you are. And maybe alongside of the rest of us in here, maybe all of us would say, you know what? My prayer life could use a little brushing up. When I look into that text, those people somehow seem to be much more excited to pray than I have been in a while. Why don't you take this text home this week and meditate on it, pray on it.
You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.